0: Who was it? Do you have a name or names in your mind? It was a friend, it was a parent, it was a relative, it was a preacher, a teacher, a children's church volunteer, a roommate, a small group leader, a growth track teacher, a coworker, an author, a songwriter. It could have been that it was several different people before you got it, but someone told you. And the reason that you even know the name Jesus Christ and have gathered with the church today is because somebody or probably somebodies cared enough, had enough guts, moved against their fear, moved against the fear of the unknown, moved against the fear of you rejecting them, moved against their own doubt, their own struggles, their own imperfections, and were selfless enough to tell you. Our, our theme scripture for this series is for the next few weeks as we talk about how to share our faith is found in the New Testament. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, amen? But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? You can say the name, you can call out to God, but you believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Next part here. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. It's good news. It's good news. They said that the operating grid, the M.O. of Jesus was to go from town to town, village to village, life to life, house to house, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 8 chapter 1 says that Jesus traveled from one town and village to another proclaiming the what? The good news of the kingdom of God. It's not just good news even. It is the best news ever. But the enemy is trying to invert this news all the time. He did it in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Here's God. He creates man and woman and a perfect paradise. And he gives them a job and a role in the kingdom of God, a relationship with him, everything they need. And the enemy comes in and says, oh, God, right, the one who won't let you eat from that tree and in one statement turned a good news story into a bad news story. And he's still doing that even to this day. And some of you even came into church thinking, "Today I'm about to get a boatload of bad news from God today." That I know I should do this, but I'm not doing this. I know I shouldn't do this, and I should. But, but God and God is just going to punch me in the gut today. That you came in thinking this is going to be bad news because that's who He is and what He does. And a lot of your coworkers and people in your school and people in your life think that that's what God wants to do that he wants to deconstruct all of our dreams and make me do things I want to do and that God is just a God of bad news but it is the opposite Jesus went from village to village proclaiming the good news of God because God is a God of God of good news he's a good news God And we're not going to let the enemy hijack the story of God and turn it into a bad news story. I'm telling you, the church is the only people on the planet who have the best news for humanity. We have the very best news. The very best news that there is. It's the gospel. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word gospel. But the word gospel means good news. When Jesus was going from village to village preaching the good news, he was preaching the gospel because the gospel is good news. It's the good news about the kingdom of God. And it's not just good news, it is the best news ever. It doesn't matter what you've done, how much you've done wrong, or how much wrong has been done to you. You can have peace with God, you can have peace with yourself, and you can have peace with others. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with yourself and you can have peace with others because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of ultimate authority. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. The person that's holding something over you is not in charge. The person that has wronged you is not in charge. The wrong things that you have done are not in charge. Governments are not in charge. And you can have peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of ultimate authority. And that's good news. That this kingdom is powerful. God is that powerful. The cross is that powerful. And we rally around the cross each and every week we teach the cross we sing about the cross because there's all these freeways and purposes that come from our lives and several different things we're called to do and several different directions we're gonna head but the cross is the epicenter of god's power you know when an earthquake happens they say that the epicenter was 47 miles off the coast two miles underneath the ocean What is the epicenter of the Christian life? The epicenter is a place called Calvary where Jesus did something that silences the enemy and has unmistakable power in our life. And the enemy will fight you to the last 18th of an inch to keep you from that epicenter. To keep you from touching the cross and the cross touching you and to keep it from finishing off whatever has been done to you it will be a fight to the end but if you can get to the cross you can get to freedom you can get to power you can get to peace with god Peace with yourself and peace with others. Galatians 6.14 says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's nothing for us to boast and brag about except the cross. Because the things that had authority in our life have been crucified and no longer have authority. Because the ultimate authority belongs to the power of the kingdom of God. This cross is the doorway to everything in our life. Not not just a doorway you walk through once, but just like everyone in here had to walk out of their bedroom doorway to get here today and every day, you walk through the doorway of the cross every day of your life. I wanna show you something today, how the cross has its place of power. It's in the Old Testament. It's found in Numbers chapter 21. The people of God... um, have escaped slavery in Egypt, God had made a way for them to do that, and now they are in the wilderness, and they're getting very impatient, follow along with me in Numbers 21, verse 4, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. He's freed them from slavery. He's set them on a journey. Yes, it's the long way, but to show them his greatness, he's giving them, uh, he's giving them food for crying out loud. And they're in the midst of this journey, and their thanks to God, their worship to God is why did you bring us out here to die? You should have just killed me in Egypt. And God was just so frustrated with, with their sinfulness and their rebellion and their forgetfulness and, and just their, their constant misunderstanding that verse 6, that he sent venomous snakes among them and they bit the people and many Israelites died. Good grief. I'm so glad we don't live under the Old Testament, Old Covenant anymore because hello, we have snakes everywhere. A guy in my small group this week found a big snake in his basement in the morning getting in his laundry. And I just thought as I'm preparing this, that could be our life. Okay, because I still say the same things to God. You say the same thing. God, why are you doing this to me today? And we can understand why. I mean, if it was the old covenant, we'd have snakes in the car, snakes in the laundry, snakes in the tub, snakes in the bed. And we'd curse God and say, God, why are you doing this to me again? And the people came to Moses, verse 7, said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, he didn't take away the snakes. He said, Make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Can you just say that, that one line with me? Can look at it and live. Say it again. Can look at it and live. So Moses got the snake pole makers busy. Don't you know that they were the hardest working bronze makers, working faster than any bronze maker had ever worked in their life, and made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. They lived. Now, we don't understand why God does exactly what he does. But what he did in this moment was he put something in motion that involved their participation. This was a foreshadowing of Jesus. So what he did was he says, I'm going to make this bronze snake and I'm going to put it on a pole. So if you get bitten by a snake, you can come look at the pole and you'll live. And some people could have said, well, that seems dumb. Like, why do I got to go look at the pole? This seems foolish. Why do I have to go all the way to the thing and look at the pole? And this is just just so foolish. I'm going to find another way to be saved and live, and you can try and do that, but hello, there is a poll. There is hope for anyone who looks on this poll, because God works, and we have to participate. Even in the Old Testament, in this old covenant, there's still grace. If you get bitten, come look at the poll and live, and you can pitch a fit about it. And you can say that's foolish, and you can say that's dumb, and you can say, God, why didn't you create another way for us to be saved? Or you could just come look at the pole for crying out loud and live. So Jesus, years and years later, comes on the scene in John chapter 3, the place where the most famous passage of Scripture resides. And here's what Jesus says about himself. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That is the setup for the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. I mean, this is a big time global eternal version of the bronze snake. He says, "I'm lifted up on a pole." And anyone facing death can look upon me and live. He says, I've done the work. All you got to do is come and see it. Come and look upon it. And look up to Jesus and believe in his work and be saved. And find peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with others because Jesus is lifted up. And from that setup comes the most famous verse in the Bible. I've been to places in the world where this is the one thing we have in common in our knowledge. That I could tell them quotes from my president and famous quotes that I know and and things that I know. And they could tell me famous quotes from their prime minister or the people that they know or whatever. And we'd find that if what do you know and what do I know? And it would come down to we both know John 3.16. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow. You don't have to perish. You can have eternal life. And I'm gonna join with, and you're gonna join with this weekend, all the crazy-haired people and the end zone people and all the people that are waving the banner of John 3.16. Can we just wave the banner of John 3.16 this weekend together? Read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to memorize this together. Okay? Let's read it one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, Andrew, you can go to the next one and the next one. No, that's good. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Once again, for God so loved the world. You can go to the next one. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. One more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life it is no accident that that verse is going around the world a million miles an hour every day there is good news that the son has been lifted up a gift for us And we can look on on him and be saved. How do we look upon the cross and be saved? Well, what I want to do today is take this apart phrase by phrase. Those four phrases from John 3.16. And this series, Go and Tell. I'll tell you, you are going to love this series. You are going to love this series. This is going to be an equipping series on how to share your faith. The most personal thing about you The most amazing thing about you? The thing that you hold the deepest conviction about? The thing that you're dying to share with other people in your life, but you just want to know, how do I do it? You're going to love this series. But before we move forward, we got to do a couple things first. And that is gather around what the good news is, what the gospel is, and what we must do to be saved. So these four statements from John 3.16 teach us what god has done and how we can look upon it and be saved if you're taking notes number one is uh, i must recognize god's love for god so loved the world if you want peace with god peace with yourself and peace with others you must recognize god's love for you if you want to live (laughs) if you want to go to heaven you must recognize god's love god's love for you is an amazing kind of love And we say the word love all the time. We say, I love you all the time. And I love you, man, in the most macho way possible. But we don't go around saying, I so love you. I so love you. But the Bible says that God so loves you. And his love is extravagant and it's beyond comprehension and God loves you on your good days and your bad days and he loves you when it's raining and he loves you when it's shining and he loves you when you feel worthless and he loves you when you feel great. It's all the same because it's based on who he is. And you might say, God could never love me. Friend, it's not about you. God is love and God wants to love you. And God knew you'd be here at Rockbrook Church today just so he could get you to sit still long enough and look up from your phone long enough for him to say, I love you. I so love you. 1 John 4, 8 through 10 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Before we even love God, he's loved us. This has to become the foundation of your life. You wanna know why you've got so much stress in your life, so much instability? You feel like I've got a shaky foundation. Why do you have so much stress in your life and not a sense of satisfaction? no sense of significance. It's because you're building your life on something that can change. Everything in life changes. Friendships change, jobs change, everything in life changes. But there's only one thing that will never change and that's God's love for you. And it's never, it's never going to change. If you want stability on, in your life, Build it on the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ and his love for you. So the first step is I've got to recognize God's love. Number two, if you're taking notes, I must receive God's gift. I must receive God's gift because he gave his one and only son. Notice it doesn't say that, that God just sent a good man, that God just sent a good teacher. It doesn't say that he sent an angel. It doesn't say that he sent a prophet. It doesn't say that he sent a a moral teacher or an ethical leader. He sent his son. He loves you enough to send his very best. And salvation through him is a gift. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't measure up to my own expectations, let alone God's. So we've all made mistakes, we've all made, we've all blown it, okay, the Bible says it like this, all have sinned, and when you break God's laws, you break God, you you pay God's penalties, and the Bible says all have sinned, and it says the wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. That means I deserve to be punished for the things that I've done wrong in my life. That's the bad news, but the good news is every sin has already been paid for. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He took your sin and he took my sin. And this is what Jesus was agonizing over even before he went to the cross. I'll show this to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, this is called the great exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was in absolute agony. Uh, He was in the garden, and leading up to his arrest, he is in agony, and he is sweating drops of blood. And it wasn't because of the physical torture that he was about to go through, though that would be very great. It's because he is taking on all the guilt and all the shame of the world. Now I feel bad enough just carrying around my own guilt, much less someone else's. I mean, just the shame that comes when, when you've told that lie, you've done that thing, you're living in the lie. I mean, you can just barely stand it. I mean, the weight of it. And Jesus says, God is going to pour into me the guilt and the shame of the whole world, every rape ever committed. Says, I'm going to carry the shame of it. Every wrong thing that's ever done, every murder, every molestation, every wife abuse, every evil thought, every evil action, every betrayal, every adultery, every lie, every theft, I'm going to take on the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of the killing fields, of the Holocaust, of genocides. I'm going to take the entire shame of the world on me. And finish it. And if there were any other way for that condemnation to be lifted. Any other way for us to be cleansed. For God to pour out that wrath so we could get into heaven. Besides Jesus Christ coming and dying for you. God wouldn't have wasted that effort. He wouldn't have gone through all of that. And this is the only way we're going to make it. And praise God, now we can say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You're not going to be good enough. Yeah, yeah, you're better than other people. You know what? A lot of you are better than me but people who have been infected by a snake bite don't stand around and compare their good deeds to one another. They say, I need a solution. I need a way to be saved. I need a savior. Romans eleven six. since, since salvation is by grace, then it cannot be based on good works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So first you gotta recognize God's love, that God so loved the world. Then you receive God's gift that he gave His one and only son, that's Jesus. And number three, I must respond to God's offer. Respond to God's offer. It's for everyone, whoever, whoever believes in him. God made an offer to you. It's an incredible proposal. He says, whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Guys, it is the best news ever. Never be ashamed of what you believe. Never be afraid to share what you believe. It is life. It is salvation. Romans 3.22 says, Now God says he will accept and acquit us. He'll declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we can all be saved in the same way. By coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we've been like. There's only one way we're getting into heaven. Right there, it says trusting Jesus Christ. What does it mean to trust Jesus Christ? Well, the, the word in the Greek uh, is very strong. It means to cling to, means to rely, means to adhere to. It means to commit yourself to. And so I begin to trust. You begin to trust God in every area of your life. You say, I'm gonna trust Jesus that if he's my Lord, if, if, if he's strong enough to save me, then I'm going to trust him with my finances, with my relationships, with my marriage, with my dreams, with my ambitions. I'm going to trust God with my talent, trust God with my problems. I'm going to trust him in every area of my life. I talk to some people who, they don't believe that God, that if they trusted God, that God could heal their marriage. They don't believe that God could heal the, the problem that they're in. That they don't believe God could heal their finances their relationships and I'll say well do you, do you trust Jesus Christ for salvation they I'll say oh yes so you trust him with the biggest problem you'll ever face in your life which is eternal death and him giving you life but you won't trust him with your marriage you won't trust him with your family you won't trust him with your money God has solved the biggest problem in your life and you can trust him with everything. Someone say amen. We have to have a passion to say, I want to know God. I want to know him. Not just know of him, but I want to know him personally. I want to have a relationship with him. I want to trust him with everything in my life. A lot of people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. They knew his name. They knew what he'd done. But they didn't trust him then say god i'll trust you for every decision i'll ever make in my life and he says i want you to learn to trust me to believe in me and look what comes our way when we believe and trust romans 324 we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by christ jesus i love these words these are great words you need to know and understand in our faith justified what does it mean to be justified it says that christ's death justified you It means, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justification, it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's even more than forgiveness. It's forgotten. You know, when when you are forgiven and someone forgives you of something, that that's so powerful, but it's still kind of there. God says, it's not even there anymore. When I look at you, I don't even remember it. I don't even know it you're justified, you're cleansed. It's like you never even did it. And it says that redemption came by way of Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be redeemed? What does the word redemption mean? This is actually um, an old slave trading term. The word redemption means that you buy someone's freedom. How amazing, how wonderful. Let's say that you're a slave and you're on the trading block. And you're being auctioned off as a slave, and someone raises their hand and says, I'll pay $100,000 for you. They say, sold. And you go to the buyer and you expect to be their slave, and they say, You're free to go. Walk away. What? You just bought me. You just paid a high price for me. They say, Yeah, because I'm your redeemer. Go, be free. The Bible says that that's what Jesus did for you, that he freed you from slavery. And you may say, well, uh, I'm not a slave to anything. But some of you know, yeah, I am. And you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a slave to the fear of death. You don't even want to talk about it. You're, you're a slave to your past. You're stuck in the past. You can't let it go, the guilt, the shame. You're a slave to the people who have hurt you. You can't let it go. You're bitter, you're angry, and you hold it against them. And you're, you're a slave to somebody else who hurt you. You're a slave to the expectations of other people. You're a slave to the approval of other people. You can be a slave to worry. You can be a slave to fear. You can be a slave to loneliness. You can be a slave to a lot of things. Did you know that God gave us a picture to symbolize both being justified and being redeemed? It's called baptism. Baptism, immersing people in the water. That's why we, uh, we, we baptize people here that way. We, we dunk them under the water because that's the way Jesus did it. And when we're baptized, when we baptize a person under the water, it symbolizes how Jesus was buried in the ground and came back up. It's a symbol that that's what Jesus did to make me justified and redeemed. So we recognize God's great love, that He gave His only begotten Son. And here's the fourth fourth thing I must rely on God's promise. What's the promise? That we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. What a promise. What a promise that we carry with us today. One day, your heart's going to stop beating. That will be the end of your body, but that will not be the end of you. You will live on beyond that because you're made in God's image and you're made to last forever. And God says, I want you to be in eternity with me forever. But here's the bottom line, if you want to spend eternity with God in heaven, you've got to start building a relationship with him on earth now. You don't ignore God your entire life and go, God, by the way, I want to come spend eternity with you. No, you develop a relationship with him now. You might say, but Ryland, what, what if I put my trust in Jesus Christ? How do I know I'm going to make it? How do I know I'm going to make it in? What if something happens between now and then that I mess it up and I blow it? How do I be sure? Well, it's not up to you to be sure. It's God who makes sure you make it. Look at 1 Peter with me. He says, we are now members of God's own family. Now we live in the hope of eternal life because Christ rose again from the dead. And God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. It's kept in heaven for you. And God in his mighty power will make sure. Who makes sure? God will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting him. He will make sure that you get into heaven. It's not dependent upon you. It's by the same power that rose Christ from the dead. He says, I'll get you there. Jesus says, come, come with your doubts, come with your questions. You don't have to have it all figured out. Guys, I've been a follower of Jesus for many years now. When I read the Bible, there's still things that I don't understand. There's still things that that I read and I look at and I go, well, that's weird. Why would God do that? I don't understand it all. I have doubts. I have questions. But that hasn't stopped me from having a friendship and a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't have to have every doubt figured out to come to Jesus like the man who wanted his daughter healed. God, I believe, help my unbelief. I trust you and I want to trust you. Help me with the things that are hard for me. You don't have to have all your doubts figured out to come to Jesus. Another thing you don't have to have is great faith. Just have a little faith. It's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of your God. And put your faith in something that's big enough and strong enough. Someone, Jesus Christ, who can save. Would you pray with me? As we close, just pray this simple prayer in your heart, in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your thoughts. Just say, dear Jesus, I don't understand it all. But I want to thank you for loving me. And I want to thank you for this gift, for for coming to earth for me, for giving your life so so that I can have life. I want to accept your free gift of forgiveness, your grace. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I want to learn to trust you with every area of my life. God, would you you make it just as if I'd never sinned? God, thank you for the price you paid. God, free me. God, I want to look upon the cross today and have that life. If you've prayed that tonight, if you say, that's me, I want in on that. I want to believe John 3.16. Would you lift your hand up in the air and say, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on Earth.